Holy Father, thank you so much for the privilege of us spending further time in your word, understanding you better, getting to know you closer, being able to learn how to reflect Jesus Christ better. Be with us in these few moments as we reflect on your holy word and on Jesus, the living word. In his name we pray, amen. You might have heard the story of that kid who, who, who was going to go to church one day and his mom gave him two quarters. And there he was walking down the street and you know how kids are playing with the quarters. And his mom had said to him, listen son, one quarter is for you and one quarter is to put in the offering plates. And as he was walking down the street playing with the quarters, one quarter he dropped accidentally, it hit the ground and it started rolling down the road and it fell right into the grate and into the storm drain. And the kid said, uh-oh, there goes God's quarter. Yes, aren't we to some degree all like that kid? We always are thinking about ourselves. We don't want to lose things. We want to make sure we have the pleasure, the happiness, the joy. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Contemporary scientists have come up with incredible studies. I got this Time magazine last year. I don't subscribe to these magazines, but every now and then my eye falls on one of them and I say, I've got to get that one. And here it was, January 2005, The Science of Happiness. And there was like a 60-page spread on it. Incredible studies that have been made. And I thought I would share with you just briefly here what have the scientists, contemporary scientists, discovered about how you and I seek for, want, hunt for pleasure, joy, happiness, and contentment in life? And what does really happen? Listen quickly. There was a, a kid who came here when she was 10 years of age from Russia. She arrived here in the United States. And she says she was greeted by all these smiles. Now, if you've ever been to Russia, people are much more serious, if I can use that term. She said she came here and she says, these are her words, it was so weird. She saw everybody was smiling and cheer, cheerful. She was 10 years of age. Her name was Sonia Lyubomirsky. And Sonia Lyubomirsky carried on, lived here for a while, and continued to study. And eventually, guess what, folks? She became a psychologist teaching at the University of California at Riverside. More than that, she got money from the National Institutes of Health to study different kinds of happiness boosters. Why are people in the United States smiling and happy? Okay, notice what her findings are. One is, the, she decided, she found out there was one thing called the gratitude journal. A diary in which subjects write down things for which they are thankful. She, Sonia, has found that taking the time to conscientiously count their blessings once a week significantly increased subjects' overall satisfaction with life over a period of six weeks compared with a control group that never wrote down why they were thankful for anything. Gratitude exercises can do more than lift one's mood. Listen to this. As the University of California at Davis, psychologist Robert Emmons found that gratitude improves physical health. You people in the medical field, listen carefully. Okay? 
It raises energy levels. Have you felt tired? And by the way, I experimented with this myself, not intentionally. I remember running one day with a, with a coach. I was in a race, and this guy, 10 years older than I, came and caught up with me, and he said, hey, run with me. I said, no way. He was going too fast, and he was 10 years older. He said, no, no, come with me. You can make it. And he encouraged me. And I tried and I started to run with him. Then he told me, I'm a coach of an athletic team. How old are you? 61. I was 51. I thought, man, this guy's in good shape. But as we ran together, I listened to him. Almost everybody he passed, he turned to the policeman. He turned to the water per person. Was Everyone, he said, thank you so much. I appreciate what you're doing. And this guy was like on the happiness gratitude campaign. I thought, man... And I listened to the coach and I watched him. And as we ran, I made up my mind that I was going to experiment with the same thing. And the next time I was in a race, I greeted and I thanked people. And I found out that I ran better. It was weird. I ran better. My time was faster. So, this works, folks. Listen, this right here, the psychologist at University of California, Davis, says it raises energy levels when you're grateful. And for patients... You, many of you are in the medical field. You want to hear this? For patients with neuromuscular disease, it relieves pain and fatigue. Gratitude. Next time you want to give a diagnosis and then tell them what to do, say, go ahead, get a journal. What for? I want to go to, you know, write a to buy some. No, no, no. When you go, buy a journal and start writing in what you're grateful for. Second, go and get some pain medication. You might not need it. <laughs> okay, now let me give you quickly here the eight, they have eight, the Dr. Lyubo Mirsky has come up with eight things. I'm going to quickly give it to you because then I want to go back to the, to the Bible. What happens? If you want to lift the level of your happiness, here are the practical suggestions from the University of California psychologist Sonia Lyubomirsky, based on research findings by her and others. Satisfaction, at least a temporary boost, they say, is guaranteed. Here are the eight things. You want to be happy? You want to find satisfaction in life? Number one at the top of the list, count your blessings. Sounds like the Bible, doesn't it? This is from psychologists right here, in California. Count your blessings, and then they say one way to do this is with that gratitude journal I just mentioned. Number two, practice acts of kindness. Wow, sounds again like it's biblical. Acts of kindness, what do they say? They say these acts should both be random, you know, like you're standing at the checkout counter and there's a, a woman with her, with a crying child behind you. Say, why don't you go ahead? Random acts of kindness and systematic, like going to give a supper or a meal to somebody who is shut in, who cannot prepare food for him or herself. Be kind to others. It makes a major difference in your life and in your happiness level. Number three, savor life's joys. As they sometimes say, enjoy the moment. Take a mental pic picture. As I walked up here today, I looked across at those gorgeous Mountains. By the way, I don't like snow. Don't misunderstand. No, I'm not there. I'm here. I was raised in South Africa where the only time you see snow is if you've got to drive to it. I mean, I don't understand why people would want to go get cold in the first place. But anyway, I, I still don't get it. My wife loves the snow. She actually went, and, went to school in Colorado so that they could go skiing. 
That's why they went to Campion Academy, not to study, but to ski. I love skiing. Anyway, number four. The fourth thing, thank a mentor. This is what they're saying. You want to be happy? Incredible. As I read these eight recommendations for satisfaction, it made me reflect and say, wait a minute, are these people quoting the Bible? (laughs) This is scientific evidence if you want to be happy. I'll go through again. Number one, count your blessings. Number two, practice acts of kindness. Number three, savor life's joys. Number four, thank a mentor. Number five, learn to forgive. Wow. Well, you want to be happy? Forgive people. Don't wait for them. They might never come and say sorry, either because they hate you or because they don't know they've hurt you. And you're brooding and angry. And in the meantime... Here it is. Learn to forgive. You want to be happy? Be willing to forgive them before they ask or even if they never do. By the way, that's the example of Jesus. Remember that? He was hanging on the cross. Did He wait for them to come and say sorry? What did He say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Number six. I'm giving you all of these incredible eight uh, conclusions from the scientists, the psychologists. Invest time and energy in friends and family. In other words, don't be focused on yourself. The more you focus on yourself, the less happiness you will find. Number seven, take care of your body. Getting plenty of sleep, exercising, stretching, smiling and laughing can all enhance your mood in the short term. Practiced regularly, they can help make your daily life more satisfying. And finally, number eight, develop strategies for coping with stress and hardship. There is no avoiding hard times. And we're talking about exams and financial problems and illness in the family and death and so forth. Religious faith, listen to this. This is again, scientists have discovered this, folks. Religious faith has been shown to help people cope. Okay, there's the reality. I'll come back to that in a minute again. But so do the secular beliefs in some axioms such as, this too shall pass. Have you heard that saying? Another one, they say, that which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Let's go to that religious faith, just a brief moment here. Incredible. As I looked at this, what the scientists say, they have now discovered incredible evidence that yes, the Bible's concepts are actually true. Religious faith, listen to this. They've studied that too. Religious people have less stressed and are less stressed and happier than non-believers. Research is beginning to explain why. As a whole section, I'm going to read you one quickly here. Studies show that the more a believer incorporates religion into daily living, scientific studies, that is, what is it? Daily living, and they tell you what it is. Attending services, which you are doing right now. Reading scripture and praying. They're very specific. If you do those three things, attending services, read scripture and praying, what happens? Here's the result. The better off he or she appears to be on two measures of happiness. Here they are. Frequency of positive emotions and overall sense of satisfaction with life. Attending services has a particularly strong correlation to feeling happy. And religious 
certainty, the sense of unshakable faith in God and the truth of one's beliefs is most closely linked with life's satisfaction. If you didn't believe what the Word said, we have now scientific corroboration that the Bible is indeed telling us the facts of life. The scientists have now confirmed what the Bible has been telling us all along. I want to go now back to the Scriptures. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 43. Incredible information. Last year's January 17 Time magazine. You want to be happy? Follow these eight things the scientists say. Now let's go to the Word. Let's see what the Word of God tells us about how we should live. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1. But now, this is just a reminder of of the context in which we're talking here. Now, thus says the Lord who created you. Notice that. O Jacob. And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. In simple terms, you and I, in in taking the broader context, because Israel, we are all in a certain sense spiritual Israel. That's what the, the New Testament reminds us of. Because we've been redeemed, because we've been created by God, we are His. God says, you are mine. We are God's by redemption and by creation. So if we belong to God, the question then is, if we are belonging to God, how then shall we be living for God? Okay? Do the conclusions of these scientists concur with the Bible? Go with me now to James chapter 1 verse 17. Some beautiful scriptures that will help us see that yes, the scientific evidence that has been discovered is not contrary to the Divinely inspired Word of God. James chapter 1 verse 17 answers a very vital question. Where does all this good stuff come from? Where do all the gifts come from? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift comes from God. Now, folks, in a certain sense, if you believe, if I believe, we belong to God and God sends these gifts to us, then we are, in a certain sense, and there's an old English word we use, we don't use it much nowadays, we are stewards. Let's use contemporary language. You and I are God's business managers. You want to have a nicer title? You and I are the CFOs of the company. What is that? Chief Financial Officer. Not CEO. No, that's God's place. Okay. God is the CEO, right? Of our companies. We are the CFO. Now, I'm using the word financial in its broader sense. Please, I'm not talking about money yet. Hold on. We'll get to that down the road. But let's first talk about what do we mean by the manager. Yes. When we talk about God's gifts, I'd like to divide it up into four separate categories. We're going to talk about some of them in the future. Number one, all of them come with the letter T. In case you want to write these down, very easy to remember. We are God's stewards, His business managers in the following four areas if we believe we are His children. Number one, the temple. The temple. And you know that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6, you are the temple of what? Of whom? Of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, treat your temple well. Now, in a week's time or so, we're going to talk about that issue, the body temple concept. And how are we expected to live in so that our temples can be taken care of? A second T, 
Yes, we are stewards, we are managers, we are CFOs of the talents that God gives us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, we'll talk about that also in the future, okay? Also next week, we'll talk about the gifts that God gives us. We use the word spiritual gifts. There are people who play the piano beautifully. There are people who have a beautiful voice. They sing well. You notice I haven't been doing those two, okay? That's not my talent. That's not my spiritual gift. I dabble at home on these things and sing in the shower. You know what I'm talking about. But you don't see me doing that here. God gives everyone gifts to be used. And we're going to talk about those things later on. But the two I want to focus on today, I'm getting to right now. The third T, third T, what's the first T, by the way? Temple. The second T? Talent. Okay, These are the things that God has blessed us with that we, if we believe we are His, we need to use as proper business managers. The third T that everyone has the same is what? Time. You're right. Time. Time. Let's spare a few moments for on time right here. Ephesians chapter 5. Turn with me in your Bibles. I believe there are some Bibles in the pew in front of you. I want you to go with me to this letter of Paul. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. A couple of verses I want to highlight here. Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. Beautiful verses that bring us to a recognition of the importance of time. Now verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Hold on a minute. What does he mean that you walk? Go to the beginning of that same chapter. Chapter 5 verse, verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us. So let's go back down to verse 15. When Paul says, See that you walk circumspectly, he is not talking about physical walking. What is he talking about? Spiritual walking. Okay, so let's go back now to verse 15. This is our spiritual walk with the Lord. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What do you mean, Paul? Read on. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. One uh, translation puts it this way. Making the best use of time. Now, now I'm going to first point at a very negative use of time because sometimes, unbelievably, we say, I've got to make the best use of time. And so we say, I'm going to throw my heart, soul, strength, mind, everything into one side to the neglect of other things. Give you a short story. Let's call him Shane. Personal friend of mine? Yes. Make a long story short, he loved the Lord so passionately that he spent virtually all of his free time. He, was, he had a full-time job, but all of his free time, he was way over here. But he was married with two children. Make a long story short, his wife was so unhappy with that. If her parents had lived closer, she would have left him. Fortunately for him, her folks lived a thousand miles away. I had a chance to meet with him, to talk with him, to challenge him. Say, hey, you got to get balance back in your life. And I thank God he listened to me because I wasn't giving counsel. I said, listen, I'm going to tell you what to do or you're going to lose your ministry. And sometimes, folks, we got to talk straight to people. Right? And I talked straight to him. I said, you got to do this. This is what you got to do or you're going to lose your wife and use your, lose your ministry. And he woke up. 
And he took it seriously. And he called that very, within minutes he called on the phone. He was supposed to be somewhere helping out with the church. He said, sorry folks, I cannot come right now. I have a family emergency. He went home with his wife. He confessed. Sorry, forgive me for making the church my wife. His wife accepted his apology. He began to plan how to balance his life better. You know what happened, folks? The next day, his wife turned to him and said, Hey, time is going. Why don't we, why don't we go to church tonight? The same wife who wanted to leave him was now saying, let's go to church. He'd gotten the balance right now. Please, when I'm talking about redeeming the time, making the best use of every opportunity, I'm not talking about imbalance. We're talking about balance as well. So I wanted to make sure you don't go overboard. Now, when again I say redeeming the time, making the best use of time, I am not suggesting what so many do, and you see it, people driving down the road, and what are they doing? Talking on their cell phones. They have now discovered that talking on your cell phone, I believe, is three to four times as dangerous as drunk driving. Now again, I'm not suggesting you go and drive drunk rather than use your cell phone. Okay? But we've gotten to the place we want, we, where you want to redeem the time to the point where we're trying to multitask at everything. You know what I'm trying to say? You know that. I see the head not. But yes, you're agreeing. Now, yeah, I love multitasking. I don't want to minimize that. You know, here I'm on my bicycle at home cycling. I have a computer in front of me. I have a fridge there. I have a microwave there. And I can have breakfast while I'm cycling. I'm not kidding. That's what I have on my bike at home. And I'm busy reading. I'm cycling. So I can multitask. Of course, my wife came along and said, yeah, but you're not helping with the laundry. So I put a table next to me there, and I'm now, I've now learned how to fold laundry at 30 miles an hour. <laughs> okay? It's, it's true. I'm actually going to send pictures in a, in a month or so to uh, some of the uh, folk here. And then she said, yeah, but you're not ironing your shirts. I said, okay. And so I built a little ironing board that comes over the bike, and I've now learned to iron shirts at 15 miles an hour. <laughs> Multitasking. In the extreme. I'm not talking about that. When I'm saying redeeming the time, I'm saying make sure you don't waste time. Reprioritize. I remember sitting one day and thinking, how am I spending my time? And I took a piece of paper and I worked out exactly how I was using time. And I was really shocked. I couldn't believe how much time I was wasting. Assess what you're doing in your life. Time lost can never be regained. Use it or what? Lose it. You know that. Let's go to number four. And I needed to spend time on time. Now let's go to number four. What is number one? Temple. Number two? We're going to get to those two later on. Number three? Time. And finally, number four? Treasures. Let's spend a little time here on that aspect of our management. How does God expect us to deal with these things? Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want to just give you an example of, of the ancient Israelites. Uh, God knows how people handle things He gives them. And He already was fully aware. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7. And God sounds a caution here to His people. Because He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm taking you to this land overflowing with milk and honey. Uh, however, watch out, God says, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. He continues, all right? But notice he goes down there. 
Verse 10, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Say thanks. That's one of the things they said. Count your blessings. Write down your gratitudes. That's what the scientists have said, correct? And God says to the people, remember to say thank you. Number Verse 11, beware. Here it is. Watch out. Caution. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, go down to verse 14, when your, ha- when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, go down to verse 17, then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Now you became, become proud. Here's the danger. God says, watch out. And you shall remember. This is what you must do. Remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth. God knew what's going to happen when you get rich. And then you start boasting. That's always the danger. It doesn't always happen. I praise God for some people who say, this is God's money. Remember? John Wesley, who said, earn all you can. In other words, work hard. Then he says, save all you can. But John Wesley was a Christian believer, and he ended up by saying, give all you can. There's the key. The key to happiness is not earn all you can and hoard all you can. We'll get to what the wise man Solomon said about that in a few minutes' time. Hold on. But John Wesley was absolutely right. Now, again, use what you have for God's glory. I know there are people who've really gone overboard. I just came across this one where people are spending, and I'm not going to exaggerate, their pets are in trouble, and they have an MRI for a dog, 1400 bucks for a brain scan. Mm-hmm. And now at the country's leading vet teaching hospitals, surgeons are routinely performing procedures once reserved for race dogs, you know? Okay? Uh, race and for these uh, purebred dogs. They nowadays are performing kidney transplants, chemotherapy, and even hip joint replacements. People are spending thousands of dollars on their dogs and cats and other animals. And you just have to ask yourself the question, are we using this, are we being proper managers of God's wealth that He has placed within our care? You know, this is very important. We have to think about it. I have a picture that I want to share with you because sometimes we are blessed. Uh, And here's a picture, by the way, uh, thrills of victory. Incidentally, uh, this was the New York Marathon just a few months ago. And it's a, a picture I want to show you here. These men spend their lives in training the temple. And they go to the extreme lengths. That's all they do is run, stay healthy, physical fitness. And here at the end of this race on the, on the right hand side is a South African who had won the New York Marathon the year before. And this on my left is a Kenyan. They ran 26 miles. And when they finished the race, the guy on the left, the taller, the one that's closer to us here, the taller one, came in less After 26.2 miles, he came in less than one-third of a second before the other guy. 0.32 of a second separated them. Okay? And when when they asked Paul Tergat, the one that's on the left-hand side, he's actually taller, he answered in such a humble way. 
you read about this man, man, incredible. He is the fastest marathoner in the world, but he has such an incredible attitude. Unfortunately, you find others who are, are always boasting about themselves. I am the greatest. You've heard that phrase. Okay. We won't point fingers, okay? But you know what I'm talking about. And I just, as I read about some of these athletes, they give, they give gratitude. I'm so thankful I have a good coach. Okay? So think about that. Always being grateful for what you've been blessed with. How did God establish? He made sure there was a system that would help us to always be grateful. Now, here it is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He warns them. And just a few chapters further, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, God says, now I'm going to institute a system whereby you can always remember how to be grateful. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. Beautiful passage. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces every year. All your increase? Yes, God is calling for a tenth of everything that we have. I remember when I was, I'd just gotten married, Linda and I, and uh, I shared with you my story as we began the series. We were in South Korea back then. And just think about something seriously here. I said, you know, honey, we've got to think about something seriously here. And I, Linda and I talked. I said, what do we do? I said, why do we dig into our honeymoon funds? Because if we remember Malachi chapter 3, you can turn there in your Bibles. We talked about Malachi 3. What does Malachi 3 say about giving back to God what belongs to Him? Very interesting passage. In fact, very strong words there. We showed you already what Deuteronomy 14 says. We should return a faithful tithe. Ancient Israel, by the way, that concept is reiterated in Matthew chapter 23 by Jesus Christ Himself. The principle of returning a faithful tithe. But here in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, verse 8, it talks about are you going to rob God? And then verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now in the New Testament, it talks about the storehouse as providing finances so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be spread throughout the world. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we talked about this. Should we do this? And God says, listen, bring it all in that there may be food in my house and try me in this. Test me in this. Incidentally, this is the only place in the Bible where God challenges you and me Prove me, test me, try me, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I said to Linda, let's dip into our, fun, our, our honeymoon funds and let's return a faithful tithe. $200, this is 25 more years ago. So we took that out and, I, and as we traveled on our honeymoon, we got to one place, I, we went to South Africa on honeymoon. I wanted her to get to meet my family and friends. We gotten married in uh, South Korea, and only my parents had been able to come there for the wedding. So here we were traveling, and I took her to a town where my dad had been a pastor years before, 20 maybe years before, 15 years before. And here we were, and I said, you know, honey, there were two places I'd love to take you. This was the town of Oatshorn, well known for its magnificent caverns, like Carlsbad Caverns, with stalagmites and stalactites, incredible place. In the main hall, the Vienna Boys Choir had come and done a concert. It was so huge. I said, I wish I could take you to the Kangol Caves, but I don't have money. We, we put, returned a faithful tithe. I'll take you to where my dad built the church and where he worked. And then I said, there's one other place I'd like to take you, and that is to see ostrich farms, but we cannot afford it. We arrived in Otsorn. The pastor, <laughs> the pastor showed up, good friend of mine, as he showed up to pick us up. We got in the car. I said, hey, Sam, it's good to see you again. And he said, Ron, guess what? I would like to take you somewhere. I'd like you to take, 
you, I'd like to take you to the Kango Caves right now. Before I could say, but Sam, I, he said, oh, oh, you're our guest. And I'm going to pay for it. I looked at my wife, I thought, wow, how did he know? And so we drove to the Kango Caves. As we got there, he said, look, I've got work in the car. I've been into these caves enough. You guys go and enjoy yourselves. We did. We came back out of the caves. As soon as we got in the car, he said, by the way, there's one other thing I'd like to do for you. I'd like to take you to an ostrich farm. Do you want to go? Of course we want to go. Lord, how did he know? Yes, we serve serve the same God. And we got to the ostrich farm. We enjoyed ourselves. I even have a picture of my wife riding an ostrich. And as we left the ostrich farm, they had these beautiful, magnificently plumed feather dusters made of ostrich feathers. And Linda said, oh, I wish I could get one of those as a souvenir. But the husband said, sorry, honey, no money. We returned a faithful tithe. Well, we got in the car and we drove off. And as we were leaving, we were there just from the morning till the evening, catching the train going out again. As we drove, Sam said, hey, why don't we stop and visit this one elderly uh, church member? She's still alive since your dad was a pastor here 15 years before. I said, yeah. So we stopped on the way, talked with her, Sister Herza, I'll never forget. And we said, good to see you, sister, goodbye. And as we were saying goodbye, she said, hold on a second. And she ran into the house. And she came dashing out with, guess what? A feather duster. How did she know that the one souvenir that my new wife wanted was a feather duster? And I tell you folks, we kept that feather duster for years, reminding us that God is indeed correct when He says, be faithful in returning the tithe and I will shower you with blessings. So many things happen as I look back. But it's not just the tithes. God also wants us to re- to give offerings. And if I had time today, I could share with you more. But I, in the in the book of Exodus, by the way, you find there how the people Exodus thirty five, Exodus thirty six, they were asked to bring gifts to the temple. You might remember the story. They were going to establish this new sanctuary. God had said, build a sanctuary so that I may dwell among you. Remember that passage? And so here the people brought, and they brought, and they brought, and they brought so much. They gave so generously that, and I want to read you this one verse. The guys who were working there at the temple site, the builders and so forth, turned to Moses, Exodus chapter 36, and spoke to Moses in verse 5. The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, Exodus 36 verse 6, and caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing. Imagine that. Imagine God's people are going to give so much so that You actually have to say, look folks, we aren't going to take any more offerings for the next month. We've got too much. Wow. Go to Proverbs. I told you I'm going to get to Proverbs. The wisest man who ever lived. What does he tell us about this idea of giving? You know, so many times we think, if I keep it, I'm going to get richer. It's interesting. The Christian concept is counterintuitive. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25 say, There is one who scatters Yet increases more. There is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. 
as you give, you find out that you are blessed. Incidentally, I remember some years ago, I did, we did put this into practice very, very seriously. And I, we kept giving, increasing, increasing. And the weird thing was, we got more and more. And I never forget the day I actually turned to God and prayed and said, Lord, please stop the blessings. I actually said that, folks. You might think I'm crazy, but it was so overwhelming, I actually asked the Lord to hold on a little bit. It was just so much, there was more, there wasn't any more room to receive it. I want to go now to the book of Matthew. I always want to go to the words of Jesus Christ. And as you go to Matthew 24, I told you years ago, well, 2006, we decided we're going to go back to that practice of Testing the Lord. Yes, we've been returning a faithful tithe. Incidentally, you've noticed I never said pay tithe. I never said give tithe. You cannot pay tithe. You cannot give tithe. Did you know that? Impossible. Tithe belongs to God. You can only return it. That's why God says if you don't return it, you're a thief. Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 and 9. Fascinating. So I don't say give tithe, pay tithe. No. It's return what already belongs to God. That's biblically speaking, by the way. And so this year, Linda and I decided, okay, I'm going to now start making sure I continue with the tithing, and also I'm going to, by God's grace, say I would like to double that. And you know what's happened, folks? Unbelievable again. Why am I saying unbelievable? I should have known. The Lord kept showering us, and we looked at our meager account. It wasn't meager. It was overflowing. I said, wow, where? My wife said to me, Ron, where does all this money come from? I said, I don't know. It's just, it, the Lord has just been showering us with blessings. You know, sometimes we think the more we have, the better off we will be. Listen to Time Magazine again. Before we get to Matthew 24, listen to this. Money, four words. Money can't buy happiness. I'm reading from Time Magazine, okay? Money can't buy happiness. The things that really matter in life are not sold in stores. Love, friendship, family, respect, a place in the community, the belief that your life has purpose, those are the essentials of human fulfillment, and they cannot be purchased with cash. Everyone needs a certain amount of money, but chasing money rather than meaning is a formula for discontent. Too many Americans have made materialism and the cycle of work and spend their principal goals, then they wonder why they don't feel happy. The words of Jesus, Jesus here challenges us, warns us in chapter 24. And the context of chapter 24, as you well know, is the end of time. Look at verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, Matthew 24, 44, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Jesus talks in the next two verses about the faithful CFO, if you please, the faithful business manager, the faithful steward that uses God's wealth properly. Let's go one more passage of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6. What does Jesus warn us? Be careful, folks. Verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And we go down to verse 33. Jesus says in a nutshell, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
I love to end with a short story. I met this young man just last month. His name is Ed. He sent me his story so I can share it with others. Ed began to study the Bible, folks. And as he studied the Bible, the pastor he was studying with told him, Ed, the Bible principle challenges us to return a faithful tithe. Now, Ed was studying. He hadn't joined any uh, that, that church yet. Ed was studying. And he began to reflect on it. But around the same time, listen to this, around the same time, he finished his MBA and his school loans came due. Now, you know what I'm talking about. When those school loans come along, you know there's that other temptation. In fact, a student at Southern one day came to me. I'm just taking a digression from Ed's story here. And she came to me after class. She said, Professor, I don't know what to do. Because I have my rent due this weekend. The only money I have in my at home is the tithe. And it's enough for my rent. What should I do, Professor? And I turned to her and I said, what do you think you should do? She looked at me, she said, I think I should be faithful to God. I said, you're right. And she went home deciding to return the faithful tithe because it belonged to God. She came back after the weekend exuberant. She said, you won't believe what happened. When I got home, there was a check from my grandmother for just as much as I needed for my rent. So, wow, that's incredible. These stories still happen, folks. They still do. Let's get back to Ed's story. So Ed says, my, my loans are due now. And he says, I was praying for two things. Lord, Lord, I need a job because I have decided I'm going to return a faithful tithe starting the last week of August. He told his fiance, I'm going to start the end of August. Final week, I'm going to start returning tithe. He said, I was impressed by God. He says, Lord, I need a job. With good money because I've got my loans that I do. And Lord, please give me a bonus. Okay. I'm using my own words. I need a job close by. I don't want to travel all the way to New York City. That's where the good jobs are. Give me a job close by. And guess what, folks? The last week of August was when he got a job. The job, he says, was the income was three times of what he was now returning in tithe. And it was five miles away from his home. Listen to the words of Ed. I'm quoting him now. Thank God for giving me the courage to trust Him and obey Him. Yes, Ed is still studying the Bible. He hasn't joined any church as he's been studying now. But that's what he said. And I want you to put up on the screen just one short phrase. It says, give God your best. He'll take care of the rest. Do you want to say it with me? Give God your best. He'll take care of the rest. Again, give God your best. He'll take care of the rest. Remember the passage as Paul says, And my God shall apply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The question I want to leave you today with is simply this. Are you willing, like Ed, to trust God and obey Him and thus be a faithful manager of His gifts that He has placed in your care. Let us pray. Holy Father, thank You for entrusting each one of us with various gifts, all these good gifts You've given us, whether it be the temple You've blessed us with, the, ta the, the talents, the time, or the treasures. Help each one of us to be willing to trust You and to be faithful to You. In Jesus' precious name, Amen.